My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater, bringing you another episode of Euripides Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time, whatever the case may be. I want to get to today's episode right away, but first, whoever started listening to the show in Saskatchewan, I salute you. I'll go ahead and use one of the Bard's favorite exclamations, Zwoons! Did you download a lot? Nearly the whole library in an entire day. So keep up the good work and thanks for finding Euripides Humanities. Okay, let's get to it. I've been preparing for the live episode that I have coming up at the end of September at the Community College of Denver, which will feature a panel of guests, including Mary E. Kennedy, who played New Fiona in the final season of Shameless. I'm very excited for it, and if you're not in Denver on September 26, 2023, don't worry. I'll be including the audio from that event as its own episode very soon. But between my last episode and the Denver show, I needed to fill a slot. After all, I'd release an episode every two weeks, and I couldn't leave you loyal fans without an episode. So, I found the topic for this episode, and it basically wrote itself in like a day and a half. Plus, it gave me a great reason to catch up with my good friend Jenny Reed, who has been on the show several times before. Jenny and I have done a lot of theater work together in the past, and she's an incredible theater history wonk herself. So it wasn't really a surprise to me that she knew this story, but we still managed to have a really great time with it. And friends, I'm going to warn you, as I have done in the past, I may destroy a hero for you today. Okay, I'll quit teasing it and just get on with it. Here's the episode, The Real Rex Harrison. Oh my word. What? This is ridiculous. <laughs> we haven't seen each other forever. It, yeah. And, and it just picked up like... Yesterday. Like, like yeah, I just saw you yesterday. And just, you know, the past several months were just, this just vomited on the table. <laughs> Isn't that what, you know, maid family does? Aw. Yeah. Yeah. Aw. But, but Jenny, since you've last been on the show, you have this fantastic new job. Yes. With a private school. Private. private like, elementary and junior high? Junior high high school. Oh. Okay. Yeah, we actually added sophomore year this year. So, next year we'll add juniors, seniors till we have a full high school. Wow. And then we'll just continue that and continue that. So, I'm kind of 
the next couple of years could be really interesting for me as far as like transitions mm-hmm. and what I'm actually doing. Cool. Maybe even not as much classroom. Who knows what that shift's going to look like? Right. But right now, I just I love it. I love it. Right. I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, for my listeners, I just have to take a, a little break here because um, we are live in studio today, uh, <laughs> in person, and my. Dog Biscuit is uh, uh, apparently needing some attention still, so you might hear some uh, uh, jangling and heavy breathing, and her tail is an effective whip and whips everything oh, yeah. and makes noises. But anyway, so she's a sweetheart, and we love her. We love you so much. <laughs> it's like Fred loves Dino. Oh, yeah. Um, but, Jenny, you're also running, like, the drama program. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Uh, no, it's... <laughs> It's one of my favorite parts about it, actually, because we use it as our... It's not really a big money-making fundraiser. Right. <laughs> as fundraisers go. Uh, um, but it's kind of become this annual thing yeah. that we're doing. Last year, the kids got to be on a real stage. Whoa! The Y.O. Theater. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be partnering with them again. Mm-hmm. Two-night program. And I think it gives the kids a lot more experience and gives them a sense of really what it's like. Yeah. How to actually truly understand what theater is like. Right. What it takes to build it, not just memorizing lines. You right. know, oh my gosh, how many <laughs> memorize all <laughs> those lines? There's more to it. Yeah. So <laughs> Did you know how I said those lines? Oh. Well, mm-hmm. and what we really like to do is Every kid who wants to act mm-hmm. and participate gets an opportunity. Nice. Every kid. This is the first year, though, that we've split apart and have a tech team cool. who is coordinating the set, all of the design, the costuming, the makeup. Mm-hmm. They're going to be learning that side of theater this year. Yeah. Lighting and sound. Yeah. And everything. That's great. It's going to be phen- phenomenal great. for them. Um, and they are so excited. They're already putting together plans and mock-ups it, yeah it's so cool to watch them yeah I mean, they've been it's been great see and i love that too because it identifies those aptitudes in kids yeah because i'm gonna give a little shout out yes uh uh we worked together on a show that i directed called yankee tavern yes and we recruited a student from the college here sammy who was yeah. fantastic fantastic great stage manager and i found that out about her like a year or two before that and it was unfortunate because she came from a smaller community where they did have some theaters, just somebody who's like had the vim and vigor to try to keep yeah. the program alive. But this kid, I'll just say it, was endowed with, you know, traditional good looks. And everybody's like, what? She's adorable. How? You can say it. How She's adorable. We, how can we capitalize <laughs> on that? Like they tried to push her into like modeling and pageantry and stuff like that. And she was like, oh, I kind of like it, but, you know, uh, she auditioned for me once and I'm like, you're not comfortable with this, are you? She says, no, not really. I'm like, I need an assistant stage manager. She's like, really? And she's so on. good and at it. So well. So good. So well. So I'm glad that, that that is being identified at that early age. And it's never been my aptitude. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you don't have to. We're not all cookie cutter. No. And students need to understand as they explore and learn things right. that there's a vast array of what you can do yes and how you can approach and still be part of things mm-hmm. and i think we forget that because the average person all they see is 
what they see right on stage they don't right get to understand a the work that goes oh into my god <laughs> I, I as you well know i went to college with a girl who was like i'm not sure what i want to do and ended up being like a box office manager as a career as yes well that's the other thing they don't realize that these are viable careers yeah i mean for girls or guys or whomever like makeup and hair oh yeah I, I, a friend of mine, he was a makeup artist. His first big job was Pearl Harbor. The movie. The, the movie. Ben Affleck. The Ben Affleck, you know, super accurate historical drama. <laughs> um, Michael Bay, make it blow up. He got into it in high school. Yeah. And he's like, you mean I can play with this and this can be an actual career? I just don't have to, I don't have to... It's not cosmetology school. Yeah. It's something completely different, but still related and people are interested yeah. in it. And it's like, why not explore that? Why not look at how you can do those things and what you can do? And what's really fun mm -hmm. is all of our staff and faculty are part of it too. Oh, there we go. That's fun. Even when they don't want to. <laughs> and yet they, they seriously. <laughs> so they are learning to really appreciate. Aww. And find even their own niche where they're like, right. I don't know how, because watching, you know, us pick a play, cast a play, direct a play, learning all that terrifies some people. Oh, yeah. But pulling together costumes or looking at set, it's fun yeah. for them. I like, I mean, it's fun for me, too. <laughs> yes. And that's, Obviously. that is the hardest part for me. My hands are in kind of all the little pots. Right. Right. Yeah. Of course. Cause you know, it's kind of overseeing it. Directing. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. You have to know a little bit about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I focus more on the individual. I think my cohort in crime, I guess you could call her Amber. She probably does more of the day to day direct stage direction. Right. I focus more on like character direction yeah 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 individual okay. like bringing that out working with okay. the kids getting them hers is much more almost like pragmatic and logistic but we are a really great partnership because we tend oh. to have the same ideas i love that and okay. and work really well off of each other of like oh that was good or oh how would you tweak that? What do you think? What do you see? Aha. It, yes. Yeah, it truly is a like a partnership. But you're working off each other. You're saying, yeah. I don't see this the right way. Maybe I'm not looking at it right. Yeah. What do you see? Yeah. Yes, I love it that. works great. Well, I love that. There's that air of collaboration. Yeah. There's that camaraderie. There's that communal sense of we're all in this together. That's fantastic. Uh, Jenny, we're not going to be talking about something like that today. Great. <laughs> You're going to drag me down. Oh, Jenny. I feel it. I feel it. I My bright-eyed oh. wonderment at the world of theater is going to get pummeled, isn't it? It might. <laughs> I told you, you might know this story. Okay. Oh, but, okay. Um, but yeah, we're going to get away from that. I just still, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's well, happening. we've collaborated but. so well together. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and you and I, it's one of our biggest, yeah. I think, joys that when we do get to work together. Yes. And that, I wish it were more common than it is. Agreed. Okay. And on that note. Well, Jenny, I brought you here for a reason. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yes. Can you think of any actors who had an absolutely pristine image on stage or screen, but had absolutely terrible personality behind the scenes? A few. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I mean, we've heard of the divas. Yes, I mean... But who comes to mind first for you? Well, there's a couple of people, but I think the most recent on my mind is Olivia Wilde. Oh, gosh, yes. I heard about this. Yeah. So, I didn't really look into it much, though. Well, but it was so, about film and stuff. Yeah, yeah. My image of her first and foremost is always from the TV show House. Okay. Yep. And her role on that. And then Tron. Like, I loved her and other people that I know. Like, And then all of a sudden this, like, kind of... Dark, dark stuff, stuff starts coming. A little bit of a um, buzz about. Yeah, I'll uh, be so shiny, right? And there's some, you know, some older actors of a certain generation, I guess you would say, where they could they could kind of get away with some more of the misogynistic and mm. and creepiness um, of how they would treat others. I think back in the what we would call the glory days of golden Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So Olivia Wilde comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. I think that's probably the most recent one that I would. Okay. Think. Well, like I said, I can't wait to see your reaction to this. But it's gonna be great. In 1956. <laughs> golden age. Okay. Broadway powerhouse musical writing team Lerner and Lowe oh. premiered one of the true tentpoles of the canon of musical theater history. The play was My Fair Lady. <laughs> Are we going to talk about Rexy? A little bit. <laughs> the following year, it was nominated for 10 Tony Awards and won six of them, including Best Direction of a Musical, mm -hmm. Best Costume Design, but most often known for its acting talent. And the Tony for Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical went to Sir Rex, Rex Harrison. Harrison. In 1964, Sir Rex reprised his role for the film adaptation, which won him the Best Actor Oscar. It did. But the road to success was not an easy one. What? No. <laughs> uh, while to the public, Harrison appeared to be a refined gentleman, along with being what is often considered to be one of the greatest actors to ever grace the stage or screen, behind the scenes, Rex Harrison was as close to a polar opposite of his public persona as a person can get. Especially when, like, when you grow up idolizing a child hero because oh. this is who you see. Oh. And then you realize it's like, you know, don't meet your heroes. Yes. We've said that a lot on this show. Like, don't meet your heroes. But I think that it goes to show that we really like to see shiny things. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'll focus on My Fair Lady for okay. just a bit to set the stage. And then we'll get into some of the better yeah. Examples of just how much of a complete rat bastard Rex Harrison was. This is wonderful Julie Andrews. Uh -huh. Oh, mm -hmm. now, now we're all probably more familiar with Audrey Hepburn as the incorrigible and lovable Eliza Doolittle in the film adaptation of My Fair Lady. But uh, as you were just saying, when the play premiered on Broadway, the part was played by Dame Julie Andrews, who was 19 when she got the role. Her Broadway debut. Yeah. Yep. Plus, and remember, this is before Sound of Music or Mary Poppins. Well, she played Mary Poppins when yes. they did the film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll get into that a bit later. When won their Oscar. Lerner and Lowe were granted the rights to adapt George Bernard Shaw's immensely popular play Pygmalion, Pygmalion. into a musical. Yeah. They got the rights after fellow musical writing team Rodgers and Hammerstein couldn't crack it. Well, no. They, I mean that makes yeah. that makes actually some sense. Mm -hmm. I mean it really really yeah. does. It's not in the real hell. No. Real house. No, they were just like can't be done. Can't be done. And so the rights went to uh you guys want to try it? And it actually got Lerner and Lowe back together. Really? That I did not know. Yeah. 
Ooh, thank uh-huh. goodness. Yay, my fair lady. Uh-huh. Now, we all kind of know the story but uh, uh, of the play, but I'll kind of yeah. hit the highlights. Dr. Henry Higgins believes that he can pass off a common street girl as a duchess simply by teaching her phonetics and how to use the English language properly. And through many trials and tribulations, he eventually does. And that's Pygmalion, right? Correct. With some creative license, Lerner and Lowe managed to not only adapt the source material into a musical, but they also managed to make it a love story as well. Something George Bernard Shaw was probably rolling over in his grave about. (laughs) Yeah, so not the point. I remember the first time I read Pygmalion after seeing My Fair Lady and going, oh. But why don't they get to know? Well, but they? <laughs> no, because even in the they notes, done right. Because even in the notes, it says Eliza and Freddie got married. Yes. So, it, it, mm-hmm. yeah. And all she does is she returns to a place that she is now finding as home. Yeah. It's not really a love story. I, no. It's not. It, no. And the, Shaw didn't write a lot of those. Well, no. No. That was, not, in, not in his wheelhouse. <laughs> But the fact that they managed to turn this incredibly popular play into a musical was enough to convince veteran star of stage and screen Rex Harrison to play the role of Henry Higgins, which he had done plenty of times before in productions of Pygmalion. The problem was, he'd never sung on stage before. Because he can't. (laughs) So Alan Lerner managed to write lyrics that allowed Harrison to basically speak-sing his parts, which you see in the movie. Correct. Just as long as he could keep rhythm, which he did. And intonation. Problem solved, yes. And it's all about... It's all about phonetics and intonation. And getting things right. I actually just watched... I've I've grown accustomed to her face, and I just love his... Damn, 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 damn! He's phenomenal! Yeah. Yep. At acting. Uh Uh-huh. As you were saying, however, more problems arose. (laughs) First, Rex Harrison was not quite pleased with the suggestion for the original title. The musical was originally going to be called either Eliza or Lady Eliza, but that annoyed Harrison greatly. Well, because it made him second fiddle. Yes. Mm -hmm. He argued since that Lerner and Lowe had come directly to him to plead for him to make their musical work. He was the draw. So by naming their show after the female lead, That wasn't just an insult, wasn't it? He threatened to leave the project. Well, yes, because of course they would never be able to do it without him. Precisely. And I don't think he ever intended to leave. He knew power. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Whether imagined Mm -hmm. or real, he knew his power. Yeah. Yes. And he knew that someone else would probably become a star by playing that part. So he was playing his cards pretty well, actually. I mean, it's... Okay, Shady. Yeah, okay, you wanted the part. You wanted it. I mean, we all do stuff like that to get what we want sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really do. I mean, yes. that to me is not the part that we no. need to um, flay open. <laughs> no, no. In any case, Lerner and Lowe went through several different titles, finally landing on My Fair Lady, which could be a play on words based on Eliza's Cockney accent. You know, she was supposed to be from Mayfair, I think. Right, and yes. Fair Lady, you know, could be that. But it was more to please their temperamental star, as the play now sounds that it's based upon his the perspective of Henry Higgins. Yes. Plus, it sounds possessive, and I'm sure Rex enjoyed that. But oh yeah. <laughs> before I go further, 
If you're not already seeing a pattern of egotism from Rex Harrison, let me just go ahead and drop a couple more little bits of trivia that suggest he believes he is a gift to this planet. No, 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 no. more than a gift. Oh, yes. More than a gift. Yes. You... <laughs> more... I, I'm not sure what to call that. <laughs> a blessing. <laughs> from an early age, his mother took him to a theater to see a play, and he was absolutely hooked, convinced he would be a huge actor someday. He was born with the name Reginald Carey Harrison, but sometime in primary school, he discovered that the Latin word rex actually means king, and thus chose it for his stage name as an association with kingliness. Fixed upon the grandness of this birthing into the world. But if you look this up, any time he's ever worked with anyone, virtually Everyone hated him. Oh, I know. Mainly because he treated everyone besides himself as less than. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, beneath. <laughs> oh, far. Far beneath. Far beneath. They have yes. not put in the time. They do not have the dedication. They do not have the knowledge or the brain power or the yeah. giftedness. Yes. That Frankly, he... they're not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. Oh, minion of mine. Here's here's a, a final story before we get back to uh, My Fair Lady. Um, it's a quote from Elizabeth Harrison, uh, one of his ex-wives. One of. Which I'll get into later. Quote, He was the kind of man who would send back the wine not just in restaurants, but in his own home. Uh -huh. <laughs> I know I have it in my cellar, but how dare you serve it to me? This displeases me greatly. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't talk like in the royal weed. <laughs> We are displeased. Uh, you just asked for your slippers. I know. We know. God. Okay, let's get back to his issues with my fair lady. His issues or our issues with him? Uh, uh, we'll probably have a lot. Okay. Um, the biggest problem grew with Harrison's dissatisfaction in his leading lady. Not just Julie Andrews herself, but the fact that he was possibly being overshadowed by her when he knew he was the draw. And that was appalling. And yet, she hmm. had been singing in front of royalty since, what, 8 or 12? Yes. Andrew stated that upon first meeting Rex, he was cordial, but it all soon fell apart. Like I said earlier, Julie Andrews was 19 when she got the part. He was in his 40s or close to 50? See, born in 1908, so like closer to 50. 50s, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, close to 50. And she was 20 when it first premiered in 1956. She had basically right. been used to a vaudeville environment before that and wasn't quite prepared for the pace of the rehearsals in a Broadway setting. Yeah. The further she fell behind, the more Harrison would become annoyed with her. It got so bad <laughs> that after one Friday rehearsal, Rex stopped the rehearsal and stomped out of the theater, shouting as he reached the door, If that bitch is here on Monday, I'm quitting the show! Yeah. First time I ever heard that story, uh -huh. read, read actually uh -huh. that story, I was like, Ooh. Who dares to fame? <laughs> <laughs> the lovely and talented gift to us all that oh, is Julie that Andrews. Is Julie Andrews. Uh -huh. but, see, but nobody knew that then. I mean, she had some fame. I'll give it that. True. I don't but, care. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, I've actually read it in other places, and instead of the B word, it was the C word. I heard that too. Yep. Actually, mm -hmm. it's not. Yep. He was he was vile. Uh -huh. The funniest part, though, is that she also admits to having an absolute sailor mouth. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that not, wasn't not, the point. Not in a vicious way. No. People, not in a harmful oh, no, in a, way. No. In like, yeah. She has this beautiful accent and then, yeah. you know. Yeah. She flubs up on a line and oh, drops. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 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 So this, this stomping out of the theater caused director Moss Hart to send literally everyone but Julie Andrews away. And over the course of the weekend, he put her through the gauntlet of acting training. Andrews has said that it was an incredibly demanding and difficult time. They went through every scene, picked it apart with a fine-toothed comb. She just, went to school. Yeah. Got she to, literally yeah. went to act, it's like acting yeah. school, like an intensive. Well, and, and not just acting school, but acting school to play Eliza Doolittle. This is the, what, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. She said it was often incredibly demanding and difficult, often to the point of breaking her. But she also says it was the best acting lesson she yeah. ever got. It, it it turned her career probably around. Oh, the yeah. fact that he was such a big fat baby. Yeah. <laughs> about her. <laughs> I saw several words come from your lips. He was petulant. He was, petulant. He was boorish. Oh, we don't get to use that word very often. No, right? That's great. Okay. Well, in any case, Harrison returned and didn't quit. To the sh he didn't quit. He wasn't gonna. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Please, but we do want our money. <laughs> well, he didn't quit the show that time. He almost did when the show was in previews in New Haven. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. oh, you know this story? Uh, this is a good one. Uh huh. Listen up, people. Up to that point, they'd only rehearsed the music with a piano. Yeah. When an entire orchestra was added, it completely threw him. What is this sits probe you're talking about? So he kept messing up. They'd have to start over. He was so embarrassed mm -hmm. that he stopped the rehearsal and stomped off to his dressing room and locked the door. <laughs> so many attempts were made to coax him out again, and he just kept saying, I can't do it. I may never do it. Finally. His ego's oh. too big to take that kind of a hit. Oh my god. I can't, oh I mean, I, honestly, when you, when you are that egocentric, like, I don't, I don't know how you would handle, I mean, you don't, obviously. <laughs> Not well. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so, uh, finally, Moss Hart convinced everyone to leave again, <laughs> except Julie Andrews and the orchestra. <laughs> he went to Harrison's door to tell him that no one else was around. He was convinced to come out. And he gradually got more confident since he wouldn't be seen as someone who couldn't handle the part. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> That's that scene from Roxanne where, like, the, the whole fire brigade is like, trying to get the cat out of the tree. Yes! And then Steve Martin comes out, can of cat food. The cat food. With the, with the handheld. Shink, yeah. shink, 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 shink. Come on, Come kitty. On, kitty. <laughs> it comes right down. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Uh huh. When the show premiered and went through its run, Harrison wanted only to hear praise about his performance and became increasingly agitated and hostile as Julie Andrews' star rose and rose. She's freaking Julie Andrews! How did he not see that coming? Uh, doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't matter. It got to the point where she could not be within eyesight when he sang, I've grown accustomed to her face. Because he couldn't think about her face when he was singing that song. Oh my God. Are you... Because he was thinking about our face. <laughs> I mean... Oh. Wow. I mean, the 
Yeah. And, 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 and keep in mind, it wasn't just a murder. This is happening all oh, the time. Oh, I know. But it's and, just appalling. Yep. And he's just being a jerk to everybody. But everybody's like, if we do the wrong thing, he may leave. And we're screwed. And we're out of work. <laughs> that is, see, that to me is the sad part of people like that. Mm-hmm. Because they do get far. Right. And they do have talent. Yeah. But everybody becomes this fear-obsessed, we can't do anything wrong because it's it's on, it affects us. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it plenty of times before. I mean, uh, my episode about Randy Quaid and Lone oh. Star Love what, and how appalling he was to everybody. And everybody's like, we kind of got to put up with it because... There's a lot riding on this, and you know we're hoping to go to Broadway and launch for a long time. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, there are some that say though that if Rex Harrison would have left that show for any one of his little piddly reasons, that oh, that nobody else could have played it as well as he did. I, so it's like, there well, is a lot. To that, because of, I mean, the, I mean, our best example is because we have it on film. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we honestly can look at it and see that it, they haven't, it's one of the few that they haven't tried to remake. No. It did just have a huge Broadway run. Right. With lots of Eliza Doolittle's. <laughs> but that's, that's the nature of that it's game though right now too is, you know, we'll play this thing and if somebody gets tired with it, then who's going to be the next one, you know? I mean, yeah. We've talked about Lip Shop on this show a lot. The Off-Broadway oh, Rings. I know. And Chicago. Sure. Yep. Chicago. Yeah. Anyway, this terrible atmosphere created by Harrison only continued when the musical was adapted for film in 1964. But standing in his way would not be Julie Andrews this time. Nope. So many of the original crew of the Broadway musical wanted Andrews to return, but it would not be so. Producers determined that she wasn't a big enough star. She wasn't. She didn't have a draw. She no. had done movies. Nobody knew who she was. I... She was almost too British. Mm-hmm. I think yep. some of that. It's like she nobody nobody knew who she was. Well, she'd only done one film by 1964, and it it was a uh, it was as a child doing voiceover work in an animated movie. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if producers also didn't want to repeat of Harrison's behavior during the Broadway run. There had to be that. I right? mean, they had to have that in the back of their mind. Yeah, they're like, if She's we get not somebody else, well known <laughs> as an excuse. No. no. And that's the public excuse that you can use, but it had to affect it. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, absolutely. But how did they not um, see um, it repeating? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Audrey Hepburn, as we know, was chosen as she was a pretty hot commodity by then. She had a long list of film credits, including an Oscar, before her, you know, big, huge role in Breakfast at Tiffany's Talented, in sixty-one, Which is so good. Glamorous, you know. and, and Wayfish. And I think everybody, there wasn't anybody who had any bad blood against Audrey Hepburn. No, you never hear. That's one you yeah, don't hear that's anything right. bad yeah. about. And Harrison worked well with her on screen, but was just as indignant about why anyone was making a fuss over the girl in this play. <laughs> Probably didn't help that <laughs> she might have been a bigger star, especially in America. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. For sure. He kept demanding that the story was about Higgins' transformation as well. Higgins doesn't transform! No. He gets to the end of the play and he goes, I miss her. And then she gets his slippers. Yep. I never I'm, not sure. I'm not going to say, I don't want to say it, but I'm... Uh, but one thing that seemed to stick in Rex's craw about Hepburn getting the role was that... 
she couldn't sing it as well. She I was sang, waiting for that. She sang all right for filming, but in post-production, all of her songs were dubbed in by singer Marnie Nixon. Marnie Nixon was the dub mm-hmm. singer. She did yep. Natalie Wood. Yep. Yep. And yeah. And this is something that perpetually aggravated Audrey Hepburn. She was guaranteed in her contract. Yeah. That's an interesting, I mean, uh-huh. she was told, and she's she's got a lovely voice, but Eliza Doolittle's voice is hard. Oh, that's yeah. a hard That's a hard role. part to sing. It is a soprano, but it is also a belter. Mm-hmm. It is hard. That yeah. is a hard, plus of an accent and all of the yep. like things that you have to do. It's very, very difficult. She has a lovely voice. When she sings Moon River, I just love it. Oh, yeah. But... No, she doesn't have. I mean, that's a hard. It is that you have to yeah. be a trained singer to to pull that off. You really well, do. Yeah, and 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 like you were saying, singing in an accent. You know, some people think that sounds easy. No, it's not. It's not. No, no. Her opening song mm-hmm. in that Cockney. Oh my God. And you can't have an actress who is Cockney mm-hmm. because then she can't do anything else. Right. Right. Yeah. Rex, though, seemed to present his haughtiness in a new, more subtle direction with Hepburn. In interviews... He's turning subtlety? Oh, listen to this. Oh, God. It's a quote from an interview. I'm going to try to do my Rex Harrison here. I'd done the show for so long in the theater with Julie that any new leading lady was going to be a problem. Audrey also had to weather a great deal of adverse press publicity about how much she was being paid. For most of the press had sided with Julie and had a, had wanted Julie to get the part. Oh, that's okay. digging, man. Wow, that's oh, passive-aggressive. Oh, check this next one out. I love this next one. Audrey is a very sensitive person and could not fail to feel all this. It quickly leaked to the press that she was being dubbed and wasn't really singing the part she'd wrested from Julie and for which she was being so highly paid. End quote. <laughs> I'd rather him just storm off and call me an animal. <laughs> now, it was also very public knowledge that uh, Hepburn was being paid a million dollars for the part in 1964 compared to Rex's 250000 Well, that I didn't know. <laughs> that I didn't know. That's going to piss him off. <laughs> Which is why I said it in the press. Because she's the bigger sure. star. Yes. Think yes. About it. I'm trying to think about the movie... What movies he had done, but prior to that, were, that were oh, really popular. I'm going to go over some of them, Jenny. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. And, and he had later. He had a string of them. It was My Fair Lady that was the big thing for him. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. In any case, the film My Fair Lady went on to win several Oscars, including Best Picture, and Rex Harrison won the Oscar for Best Actor. It was presented to him by Audrey Hepburn, who had won Best Actress. No. The prior year. Oh no, no she the already prior won. Year. Yeah. No, she won for. Roman Holiday. Yes, Roman Holiday. That's it. That's the one she won before. Yeah. Yeah. Hepburn, however, was not nominated that year at all. Nope. The Oscar for Best Actress went to Julie Andrews for playing Mary Poppins. (laughs) In her acceptance speech, she finished up by saying this, Finally, my thanks to a man who made a wonderful movie and who has made all of this possible in the first place, Mr. Jack Warner. The producer, who didn't believe she was famous enough to play Eliza Doodle. And I love that about her because that, right there in a nutshell, epitomizes who she is and Mm -hmm. just how much I adore her. And also then foreshadows the beautiful friendship between her and Carol Burnett and how funny Julie is and understands the world. 
And I guess Jack Warner was laughing his head off because well, she said it. Funny. It is funny. It's hilarious. It is funny and true. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't going to sit there and stew about it. No, it's over and done with anyway. He also made a ton of money that year. <laughs> well, yeah. Rex the King indeed. Looking back on it now, I can't help but see that chip on his shoulder in about every image I can think of. Ugh. But you Mennonites, what you've heard up to this point couldn't possibly prepare you for how Rex treated the many women in his love life. That's coming up. But while we're here, I'll encourage you to subscribe, follow, check out Instagram profiles for both Trident Theater and Euripides Amenities, send me a message at trident at tridenttheater.com, or, you know, rate and review wherever you're listening. It really does help the show. Okay, but let's get back to Jenny Reed and the conclusion of the real Rex Harrison. Okay, so <laughs> that's his demeanor when he's doing a show and how he treats his coworkers. That's what he was willing for the public to see oh and know about. God. Oh my God, and Jenny. Like, that's what I'm saying. That's actually what he was willing to be out there. And yeah. you know he had an ego and big enough that, that mm -hmm. he still closed himself off to the public. Oh yeah. Because, oh, yeah. well, I already, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, if we really want to know just what kind of a person Rex Harrison was, I would suggest we take a look at his love life. Lives. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I, I'm going to have to kind of go rapid fire here yeah, because there's quite a bit of ground to cover. It's like a rap. It's like a bandaid. And we just got to, yeah, spit fire. As a youth, Harrison was determined to be a great actor and was convinced he could do so with no help. Indeed, the man never took any acting lessons throughout his entire career. Didn't go to school. Didn't go to any studios. Didn't nothing. He was just convinced he could do it. Well, I to to his credit uh-huh i mean let's i mean we we are better than rex true okay so to his credit <laughs> sorry to his credit he was a student of the craft right in his mind right in of his own making mm -hmm. and i i mean i think that is evident in his performances he truly was a student he he oh yeah he yeah learned. he learned by but, observation but, yeah but why would he demean himself <laughs> to having others shape the gift that he is. Well, you know, when you do that, though, you have to... Sorry. Nope, you're right. You're right. Yeah. He, he got into his first play at the age of 16, and upon graduating high school, went to work in the theater immediately in Liverpool. By 1930, he had moved to the West End and was able to be cast quite regularly. I mean, honestly, great voice. Yes. Good look. Great present, and, and, and for sure. And his erudition was so perfect for Henry Higgins, but it fit all of his other roles as well. Well, and that was very popular. Absolutely. Twas the thing. Twas the thing. However, throughout these early years on his own, he gained quite a reputation for being a voracious womanizer. Voracious? Voracious. I couldn't come up with much of a stronger word. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was... Uh, Predatory? He had a healthy appetite. Randy. Oh, there it is. However, in 1936, one woman seemed to convince him of the value of monogamy. 
for a moment. Amidst the many women who caught his eye was Ethel Marjorie Noel Colette Thomas, but she went by Noel. Yes, all those names, probably because she came from a family of wealthy aristocrats. That probably was more appealing than the monogamy. I think it was. She was cute, though. She was oh, really okay. cute. Okay. I was going to get all these pictures, too. Yeah, I didn't get them. This was also something that Rex found very attractive about her, the upper status. But she was a model. So there's mm, that, too. There's that. I'm going to blow right through this one because after Noel, the things Rex Harrison did in his love life will pale in comparison to this one. Yeah, okay. In any case, Noel's father did not approve of her daughter dating an actor. He also probably didn't approve of Rex getting her pregnant out of wedlock and then proposing marriage. Oh, yeah, probably not. But then, nonetheless, the two married in January 1934 and their son, Noel Harrison, was born later that month. Yes. He also became an actor. He did. And an Olympic skier, I guess. When World War II kicked off in 1939, Noel went to the front lines to work for the Red Cross. While she was away, Rex met fellow actor Lily Palmer. While she was away, <laughs> the boys were away. <laughs> oh, my bed is empty. <laughs> I'm cold. So he met uh, Lily Palmer, and Palmer was actually a German-Jewish refugee who had left Germany years before the war broke out because wow. she kind of saw the writing on the wall. In any case, Rex fell head over heels for her and left his wife in 1940. They separated. Rex and Lily fancied themselves as the new glamour couple in the acting world. And they've appeared in several plays and films together, often playing the romantic leads opposite one another. Yes. And people liked that. Yeah. They're like, they work really well. They did a lot with that. Oh, and by the way, Rex and Noel's divorce was finalized in 1942. <laughs> it took two years? <laughs> Jeez. Two years after. Rex and Lily then married less than a year later in 1943. <laughs> Got pregnant and had a boy they named Carrie in 1944. And as you may recall, Carrie is Rex's middle name. Oh, yeah. Right. King. Right. Right. <laughs> now, during the war, Rex didn't act too much. He considered himself a patriot and wanted to assist in the war effort. But most of the vision in his left eye had been taken by a really nasty bout of measles when he was a kid. So he couldn't fight or fly planes or drive boats. But he could coordinate attacks from bunkers. And that's what he did for most of the war. He often says he didn't miss acting a bit during his RAF days. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that something? Just didn't... He actually found purpose for a little while. Uh, yeah, a little Outside bit. of his <laughs> grandness. And you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Okay. However, after the war, Rex returned to acting, and for his performance in a small scandalous film called The Rake's Progress in which he starred opposite his wife, Lily Palmer, Rex caught the attention of a studio head from 20th Century Fox. At the same time, for the same movie, Lily caught the attention of an executive from Warner Brothers, and both of them were offered multi-picture deals from their respective studios for that one film. Wow. So goodbye, New York. Hello, Hollywood. Huh. Yeah. Upon arriving in Hollywood... <laughs> oh, no. Rex established his reputation as a difficult actor who didn't like to take direction. So much so that... His first director tried to have his contract with 20th Century Fox terminated. <laughs> Didn't happen. And Rex's second picture for the studio brought in a ton of cash and good reviews. So now he's becoming a genuine movie star. Therefore, he's a moneymaker. Yeah, we'll put it. up with the bad behavior. Mm -hmm. But that did go to his head. No. I'm surprised. And he really enjoyed being a major name in Hollywood, spending most of his time away from home and his wife and child at parties and the like. Somewhere in this playful lifestyle, Rex came across a young new actor, Carol Landis. Yes. This who is the also, oh, 
this is okay, don't go just the only one. Oh, I know, but I, yeah, okay. Carol Landis, who also had a contract with 20th Century Fox and also was shooting near Rex quite often. However, she also had a bit of a reputation. Rex first met her in 1947 when he was 39 and she was 28. By that time, she had just gotten out of her fourth marriage. Oh my god, at 28? At 28. I think Liz Taylor had a beat. I think she was on like four or five by that time. Anyway, she just got out of her fourth marriage and was well known for her violent mood swings in which she would often threaten to hurt herself if she didn't get her way, long bouts of depression, and suicidal ideations. But she sure was cute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cute. Trump's crazy. Absolutely. And of course, Rex and Carol started an affair. Oh, wow. Now, there was something of an unwritten rule in Hollywood that studios knew about the lurid lives of their stars, but wanted to make sure that they kept their affairs private because they didn't want the public thinking yeah. that, yeah, well, oh. Oh, no, 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 no. The PR good. machine yes. was amazing. Yeah, they're all good, wholesome family people. and, and That's why we didn't know about, you know, Rock Hudson and everybody right? before. I mean, yeah. seriously. He died of AIDS? Did he get it in a pool? Yeah. Uh-huh. Rex didn't care about any of those rules, though. They, Why would he? Rex and Carol did almost nothing to hide their affair, which annoyed 20th Century Fox head Daryl Zanuck. <laughs> Zanuck had also briefly dated Carol, but when Rex and Carol basically flaunted their relationship, Zanuck pretty much removed the prospect of Carol ever being a leading lady, only casting her in low-budget movies for the studio from then on. Yeah. And of course, they wouldn't have done that to Rex. He carried on as usual. Well, that's not going to help deflate any ego issues. Well, it's the woman's fault. Yeah. We can punish the woman. Well, yeah. Ugh. I don't feel that way. <laughs> I, just, I know. I'm I clarifying know. for my audience. Asterisk <laughs> moment here. Side note. Aaron doesn't do that. <laughs> no. However, this degrading of her status started Carol's downward spiral. Yeah, she, she, it's sad. It's very, very very sad. Yeah, and I do not mean to make light of this. This is actually a really dark no, it's, part of this story. I mean, she she created issues on oh, her own yes. already, Yes, but this exacerbated a mental break mm -hmm. down. Like, yeah. I have never seen a shattering oh, my God. of a human being no. like hers. And when this happened, she was tired of sharing her man and began to demand mm -hmm. that Rex leave his wife and child for her. He blatantly refused. Yeah. Frankly, Lily was his wife, and he wasn't going to give her up. Nonetheless, they kept up their very public affair. In 1948, Carol hosted a 4th of July party at her place. Rex ghosted it. Mm. Never showed up. But he did show up for dinner that night once everyone else had left. During the dinner... The subject of Rex leaving Lily for Carol came up again, which exploded into a huge fight, just as it had many times before. Rex left in a huff, basically declaring that he would never be leaving his wife. The next day, Rex was to meet Carol for lunch, but she never showed up. He drove to her home, and with the assistance of her maid, Rex Harrison found Carol's body on the bathroom floor. Sometime after the fight, Carol had overdosed on barbiturates, but not before delivering all of her belongings that reminded her of Rex to her friend's house with a suicide note. And for several hours, Rex called no one. Yeah. He spent several hours driving back and forth between his house and hers, 
which was confirmed by witnesses. Finally, he eventually called a doctor and the police. And here's a quote I found from a blog. When the police arrived, he insisted he was just friends with Carol. According to some sources, Landis left two suicide notes, one for her mother and the second for Harrison, who instructed his lawyers to destroy it. Yeah. During a coroner's inquest, Harrison denied knowing any motive for her suicide and of the existence of a second suicide note. Well, why would he? Because it would tarnish what he is putting together. And even though he had this horrible behavior that he knew was horrible, he still had an image to uphold and to polish. I I, I just... It's appalling. Oh. It's absolutely appalling. And to this day, no one knows the involvement of Rex Harrison in the death of Carol Landis. Her family still cries foul play to this day. Well, there's been... The speculation is whether or not she was dead when he found her. Yep. Yeah. And his... Uh allowing for her to expire right or helping it along mm-hmm. even right and and as far as yes. some people yeah i mean there has been that push of far as far as like yeah how far did he go did he just hands off and just let hope nature took its course yeah, and stare at her while she was oh i either way it's yeah. horrible uh-huh. it's horrible well <clears throat> but the problem was gone unfortunately for rex there was no way to hide from this scandal and his contract with 20th century fox was terminated but he was still married to Lily Palmer, mm-hmm. who knew everything. everything. She even attended Carol's funeral with him. In any event, yeah. he was more or less out in Hollywood for the time being, so he and Lily chose to move back to New York City to try to pick up their lives. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Okay, okay. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Here it comes. Here come the next ones. Uh, Rex's career wasn't completely over, though. Nope. In 1955, he was able to be cast in a film called The Constant Husband, about a man who has six wives. One of the wives... Forgot about that film. One of the wives was played by a young woman named Kay Kendall. By then, Rex was 47, Kay was 28. I see a pattern. Guess what? They had an affair. (laughs) (laughs) After all, the movie was filmed in London, and he and Lily had separated sometime earlier, so still not sure if they could continue on. So, why not? I'm sorry, I just threw open my mouth a little bit. You should have. It's uh-huh. Kay Kendall, as it turns out, was not in good health at all. Upon visiting a doctor a few times, the doctor confided in Harrison that Kay was suffering from a rare form of leukemia, and she may die in two weeks or two, two years. We don't yeah, know. We don't know. She's dying, but, you know, yeah. You want to know what Rex did about this? No, don't. No, okay, well, tell that. Yeah. Oh. He told Kay nothing. Other than she did have some form of uh, iron deficiency. Want to know who he told? He told his estranged wife, Lily. Want to know what Lily told him? She told him that she would divorce him so he could marry Kay right away and give her all the happiness he could for her remaining years. Again, I would also like to point out, how does he marry good women? I... I Honestly, honestly, I don't, to God, I don't get I don't, it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Yeah. Every time I hear this stuff, I'm like, uh-huh. how in the world did he con mm-hmm. them? I mean, honestly. Well, he was Rex Harrison. <laughs> An accent <laughs> only gets you so far. Not accepting that as a response. No, sorry. So you know what? That's exactly what happened. Lily agreed to a divorce settlement in 1957 and even offered Rex the opportunity to, to rekindle after Kay would eventually die. 
Rex and Kay married a few months later, and Rex continued to actually be a loving and devoted husband to Kay for her two remaining years. Yep. Kay died in 1959. It's the only relationship that, from what we can probably tell, what I've even looked at, is oh. the only quote-unquote good marriage yep. that he, from his end, mm -hmm. his actions were good. Yep. Ish. So let me put this all in perspective. Rex and Kay meet in 1955, while Rex and Lily were still married but separated. 1956? That's My Fair Lady on Broadway. Correct. 1957, Lily agrees to a divorce while Rex and Kay are still publicly a couple. 1959, Kay succumbs to her illness. This happens in four years. It's the biggest four years of career triumph uh -huh. and crazy relationship yep. in some ways triumph. Yep. Yeah. In 1973, <laughs> playwright Terrence Radigan wrote the play In Praise of Love mainly inspired by Rex and Kay's last two years together. Correct. Rex played the character inspired by himself when it premiered. Uh-huh. It didn't go well. No! Like, <laughs> he can't play himself. He can play no. a reflection. Right, right. As we have learned. Plus, apparently, oh, shortly after Kay's death... Oh, this is great. All of you who are looking for a little bit of redemption, here it comes. Shortly after Kay's death, Rex tried to get back with Lily. But in 1957, the same year she divorced Rex... She married Carlos Thompson, an actor from Argentina. <laughs> you go, Lily! You go, girl! <laughs> nice! Okay, so, since we are kind of running out of time here, I'm just going to give you some highlights of the next four marriages. <laughs> Jesus. It's horrible! In 1961, he met and fell for British actor Rachel Roberts after appearing together in a play. They were married in 1962. Their marriage was plagued by alcoholism from them both, and Rachel had suffered from severe depression, not to mention that she felt completely isolated being the wife of a huge star in Hollywood, which was completely foreign to her. She hardly had any time to work on a career of her own, and all of these elements combined resulted in many explosive public fights between the two. Great. Yeah. Great. But remember, Rex's image in the minds of the American public was pretty solid. The film adaptation of My Fair Lady premiered in 1964, and everyone just loved him, despite anything he'd done in the past. We can write that off. It's fine. Yeah. Or, in his present, Dr. Doolittle followed in 1967, which hey! just enhanced his image. Yes. The lovable Dr. Doolittle. Yes. Oh, uh, here's, here's a funny thing that I found in my research. Um, he was very much annoyed with some of the sheep when he would have to stand in the fields. And uh, for all of his nasty behavior, he got peed on a lot by the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Karma before death. I, th I think he got a little comeuppance. Yes. There. Rex attempted to make things better with Rachel Roberts by starring opposite her in the 1968 film A Flea in Her Ear. That's a title. Uh-huh. But by 1971, he had had enough. A divorce was granted and Rex immediately started a relationship with Rachel's good friend, Elizabeth Reese Williams. Rachel Roberts disappeared from Hollywood to escape the embarrassment. I don't blame her. I yeah. really don't. I mean, no, no, no. But uh, she was, uh, she was very disturbed. Yes. Like I she mean, was a very tortured soul. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, whereas some people have been able to kind of overcome that, that was, she not, was never that was not going to happen. No. Rex married Elizabeth in 1971 and soon found himself the stepfather of three sons who Elizabeth had had with her prior husband Actor Richard Harris. Are you serious? Uh huh. He's the evil <clears throat> stepfather to the Harris boys. Yes. <laughs> yes. For how long? 
Uh, I'm getting there. Okay. Um, let me see. Rex divorced Elizabeth in 1975. Oh, so four years. Four years. Okay. Yeah, I'm done. But apparently he wasn't quite finished yet. He began a relationship in 1977 at age 69 with a woman named Mercia Tinker, who was 39 at the time. They married in 1978 and remained married until Rex died from pancreatic cancer in 1990. I hear it was quick and painful. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to open it. Long quick and painful. That's okay. When he died, his children took some of his ashes and spread them on the grave of Lily Palmer, who had died in 1986. Yeah. But I have just a couple more stories about Rex. Oh, only a couple? Okay. After her divorce from Rex in 1971, Rachel Roberts couldn't seem to get over it. She got a number of roles on stage that drew great critical praise, but challenged her mental health. Like, she kept getting cast as a woman who was plagued with mental health issues. That's not good for somebody no. who... Had... <sighs> and she was just trying to get past it and find something new. But she couldn't. No. She also had a number of incidents of public intoxication, including an appearance on a talk show in which she was completely out of control. But in 1980, she tried to rekindle her love with Rex. He denied it implicitly. Oh, dear. Because he was already married. Yeah, he, well, I, but... He'd find know, the final love of his life. Well, track record would have implicated for her, especially in her broken mind, that it's possible. Yeah. And that he could fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel Roberts... Died of a barbiturate overdose that same year, right after calling Rex to say goodbye. The power he had over their lives... Yeah. Yeah. ...is shocking. Yeah. And disheartening. I mean, disheartening. But you know what? I don't want to leave this episode on a total down. Anymore. Okay, good. Thanks. I don't tell a fun story in which we can all laugh at the expense of Rex Harrison. In interviews through the years, many stars who are known to speak very kindly of people they've worked with... Almost no one could say anything kind about Rex Harrison, including his co-star in My Fair Lady, Stanley Holloway, who played Freddie. When My Fair Lady played on the West End at Drury Lane in 1958, most of the original Broadway cast went along with it. Mm -hmm. After one performance, Rex exited the stage door and seemed annoyed that there were autograph seekers between him and his ride. Plus, it was raining. So he quickly tried to push past all these people to where his driver was waiting. One of these people was a kind little old woman, just wanted to get the autograph of the star who she adored on, on stage as, as Henry Higgins. She oh, loved yes. him. Completely offended by being shoved aside, this old woman wrapped Rex on the shoulder with her cane, like whacked him. <laughs> yes! He stopped in his tracks, and before he could do anything, Stanley Holloway, who had just come out of the stage door and had seen the whole incident, bellowed this little play on a popular phrase with his big voice over the crowd, Rex, stop! Stop! Rex, tonight you've made theater history. No, you've made world history. Yes, tonight, thanks to your rudeness for the first time in the whole of recorded history, the fan has hit the shit. <laughs> Yes! That is the best line ever. Is Stanley, I think I, we can give you three cheers for having the line we always wish we can when we see somebody who needs a line like that oh. and can't come up with it. I should have said that. I should have said that. Right? Oh. Well done, Stanley. And that's uh, that's my story of the real Rex Harrison. Oh, the, I don't even know if we actually truly, to be honest, know the real king. Well... <laughs> There is so much, like, 
Like, I know. You know I'm, I'm going to go back to Carol Landis. Uh, her, oh. her family for years. You can go to their website. Yeah. And to this day. They're still going, now we're sure he had something to mm-hmm. do with it. And he's never said what his involvement might have been. And truth be told. It could have been nothing. It could have been completely innocent. Yeah. Because he was so standoffish to people. He didn't want to give of himself to anybody. No. They should be giving themselves to him. Right. So when he didn't show up to her party, he's like, yeah, okay. I don't need to go there and be embarrassed because she's just going to pick a fight with me. And Well, okay. I'll go see her and possibly get something after dinner. Right. (laughs) Hint, hint. But then she started a fight. No, I'm going home. And her threats are empty to him. I'm going to kill myself. All right. I'll see you at lunch tomorrow. Yeah. He's never going to believe any of that. He's never going to take stock in that because it's, A, it doesn't affect him. No. But it deeply affected both her and later Rachel. That, that whole story about Rachel, like, obviously it sounds to me like he, he went for looks first. I mean, I looked at all of these women. They are not ugly. No, no. They're all, you know, and, and but they're all different too. I yes. think, I think. Was Noel, Lily the redhead? Uh, I don't remember. I, I think she had more darker hair. I think she was yeah. brunette. One of them was like, he, he ran the gamut. Yep. He didn't have a type. No. Oh, he had a type. Uh, girls who would fall at his feet who were good looking. Yes. Okay, <laughs> Rex Harrison. Worship. Mm-hmm. He that is what he he looked for worship. He was their savior. Yeah, honestly. But the problem with especially Carol and Rachel's that's how they saw him. Yeah, that is how they saw him. Well, maybe maybe you know it, there are those stories where he was just a terrible womanizer. So he's he's running through them. Oh yeah, and he's probably only picking up on it when they go. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, Rex. He's like, well. That's um, I, that's uh, um, yes. basis for a, a healthy Solid relationship. relationship. <sighs> Plus, he gets older. Oh yeah, they don't get older. Yeah, but it's still that wide-eyed worship. Yeah, because women who are of a certain age see more, know more, yeah. experience more. <clears throat> yep, and don't put up with more. <laughs> well, and at sixty-nine, he probably couldn't get anybody under thirty again. So he got this woman, Mercia, Mercia, Mercia. Yeah. Only thing I could find out about her was she was from Singapore. And well, she was a Singapore native. Interesting. <clears throat> yep. But she was really good looking. Oh, yeah. I mean, a, 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 a fantastic, gorgeous, gorgeous hair with a great jawline. Oh, I bet she was beautiful. Yeah. He did. I mean, that's the thing about Rex is that he carried himself like the leading man in any woman's mm-hmm. life in mm-hmm. any woman's life. Right. And and not only that, like that nothing was affecting him whatsoever. No. Because it couldn't. Everything was below him. Yes. I just I I know that there are still people out there like that today. I know that there are people who are one hundred percent demanding and they are really difficult to work with, but everybody puts up with it. On the other hand, I do appreciate seeing things like, there is that, yeah. Know, uh, I think it was just this last week, there was this thing about Jimmy Fallon. Yes! And, and I didn't read... And the, into, to- the, yeah. the toxic workplace <clears throat> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Now, those stories I do have to take with a grain of salt. I'm like, it's that's an incredibly demanding environment. You have to have a fresh thing every single week. And you have to have standards. Yep. And what is the difference between being demanding and having higher standards? Right. And wh- when does it cross the line? Right. 
And on the other side of that coin, you go, all of those people legitimately felt something. All of those people... Feelings are valid. Right. 100%. And I do appreciate, to a degree, and I really hope it doesn't swing in a very extreme way, I really appreciate how this industry now is starting to really take mental health and emotional health very seriously. See, they well, they actually do take it. Yeah. And consider it yeah. as a real issue. Yeah. Because I think, I think that, I don't know if they know exactly what to do yet. Yeah. But they are on the road to considering. And that's yeah. huge because I think any industry, but especially an industry where you are delving into the human experience and psyche and all of that. Oh my God. Uh-huh. You, can't, you can't not take it seriously. Right. Because somebody like Rachel who keeps getting cast, but it's breaking her down. Yeah. You can even look at Marilyn Monroe that way. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But Judy Garland and what they did with her as a child in order to keep her going as far as a machine and what that did to deteriorate her. Ooh. I mean, there's a whole, there's, there's podcasts out here mm-hmm. about the mental health of now adults. Yeah. Who are child actors. Yeah. And what they're dealing with now. I <laughs> I picked up an old acting book from college, Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting. Oh. And I read the first 40 pages of it and then put it down and I went, thank God we're not thinking that anymore. Because <laughs> I come to the chapter on substitution. And a lot of actors adhere to this. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll actually kind of guide people through this. Like, um, I've never been in a prison camp and I don't know how to feel about that. Like, right. Okay. You know, good. okay, good. I'm glad, well, I'm glad that that has never happened to you. And, and the, the book is saying like, you have to draw on personal experience to some degree, you know, um, to tap like, into that I've, understanding. Yeah, yeah. I've never been Othello. Well, thank God. I've never been Othello and been so jealous that I want to kill my wife. Right. But you might have been like, I can't believe that yeah. kid in second grade always got picked first to give his presentation and mine was just as good, if not better. So you have a feeling where you've been incredibly correct and you can apply that. But there were things she was saying, like you have to draw from personal experience and you have to draw from things that you've gone through and you've lived through. And there was one paragraph, Jenny, there was one paragraph and it was like four lines long. It's like, but don't use anything they haven't quite gotten over yet. Uh, this is not a time for therapy. Oh yeah, by the way. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that really shouldn't be used. And I'm like, you don't know what people feel they've gotten over, haven't gotten over. It's so hard to make that adjustment. There are things in my life I don't want to have to pull from. Right. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And yep. I don't have the severe mental health breakdown issues oh. that some others do and i don't have severe trauma yeah i i'm i'm pretty fortunate in a lot of my life experiences i have certain things we all do and i've played some pretty hard characters yeah you have to yeah. right yeah you have to draw on something but if you draw on something that is so damaging and raw and yeah. raw yeah and but if even if you think you're over it, yeah, <laughs> that's dangerous. It is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. So dangerous. And it's that kind of attitude that oh, people are scary. like, "Well, he is a son of a bitch," but God, he's selling a lot of tickets, and uh, 
I think I think everybody will get over it. <laughs> that is the hardest question I think of all, especially in a, in an industry where you are pretending. Yes. Yeah. And playing uh -huh. in some ways, and separating the man from myth and man from reality. Yeah. So on and so forth. I mean, I do. That's hard because I uh -huh. there's still mm -hmm. there's things that I still want to be able to enjoy. Yep. And it's really hard to separate from the things I've learned and know about someone. Yep. And I'm like, yes. Oh, uh huh. Can't I still enjoy that? I don't know. Yeah. I, I struggle with that a lot too. I'm going to end with this though, <laughs> because I think it's a bright shining sign that those are no longer the days. And this is a story. This, I agree. This is an urban legend from like 20 years ago. And I've heard it confirmed and I've heard it, you know, uh, said, nah, that never really happened. On the set of filming Three Kings, the, oh. the Mark Wahlberg, yeah. Ice Cube, and, and George, George Clooney, Clooney got so fed up with director David O. Russell mistreating people, yelling at them, threatening them, that he got into a fist fight with them and knocked his ass out. And in some ways, you're like, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Whether that's true or not, I mean, there comes a point. Yeah. And the celebration of talent over rotten personal behavior Ew. needs to be examined, period. Yep. It, do it does. It needs to be examined and it needs to not be shoved under a rug and ignored and quietly not. Right. Just whispered about, right. you know, instead of being like, no, that's not okay. That's not okay. It's not okay. I mean, even for Christian Bale to actually survive his, his tirade that got recorded and everybody heard it, I mean, he came, you know. Oh, yeah. Like. He came out on the other side. Right. Ish. Well, I think my dogs are done hearing us talk about Judge <laughs> Uh, Yeah. We get yeah, it. I, okay. We get girls. it. Yes. But yeah. What a, what a, uh, an uh, unbelievable rat bastard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What did I tell you? Ugh. Rex Harrison was truly a rat bastard. At least he gave us some incredible and undeniably good performances. And is that enough to absolve someone in the eyes of the public? Eh, I'll leave it to you to decide. I want to thank Jenny Reed once again for being a phenomenal contributor to this show, and I can't wait for you all to hear the next episode, which will be the recorded footage from the live in-person episode at the Community College of Denver. As for this episode, though, I'm signing off. This has been another episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. Another episode will be in your ears in another two weeks, and I will see you at intermission. Avant -avant.